The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, James Fox also alongside us. Special episode today on the Future Sox Podcast. Bill Mitchell of Baseball America in charge of covering the Chicago White Sox farm system for Baseball America these days. It's a pleasure to have Bill on. Typically, when we get to this point of year, we see Baseball America release their top 30 as well as their catalog as they go through the entire Major League Baseball scouting process and break down the top 30s for each individual team. And Bill is lucky enough to adopt the Chicago White Sox as his own. So let's start there, Bill. First of all, so good to have you. Glad to get to know you. I'm sure we're going to be bugging you quite a bit uh, here at Future Sox. But let's just start there. What is it about this White Sox farm system that got you roped in to covering them now taking over for Josh Norris, your colleague? Well, Mike and James, thanks for having me on. Uh, We juggle around the organizations every so often. And I had previously been doing the Royals and Mariners. And then Kyle Glazer took over the uh, Mariners and they offered me the White Sox. I said I preferred somebody that was in Arizona, one of the Arizona organizations where I have the contacts and get out to the backfields to see them. So uh, and it's not like I haven't done 30th ranked organizations before. Uh, I When I took over the Royals and Mariners five years ago, they were 29 and 30, and now they're uh, top five organizations. I can't take credit for that, but if you think maybe that can happen with the White Sox, well, that's good. <laughs> that's well. Hey, give us some optimism because for the second time in a row here, we're seeing that the White Sox are at the bottom of the Baseball America top 30 prospect list in terms of organization. And well, okay, it kind of sucks. What is it about the Sox farm system compared to the rest of the league that says, hey, they're just not there yet? Well, and first I want to say that uh, the White Sox are, have been at the bottom for the right reason, uh, because a lot of people, players have graduated, like you know Luis Robert and uh, Eloy Jimenez and guys who are contributing to the big league team. And that's what you want your farm system to do. Uh, you've also haven't torn it apart and traded away for prospects. So there's a reason uh, that when teams are at the bottom, as long as the big, league's team, big league team is doing well, that's what you want. As far as getting better, uh, you know, one of the things you were asking is how do you uh, how how do they move forward? Obviously, adding impact talent through the draft and through the international markets are the way to do it. And they uh, they've been big on the international market, and signing Oscar Colas and and another guy Eric Hernandez I've heard about those are good moves. Uh, 
I don't know if those players were in the organization when rankings are done. Not that that's going to push them up that much, but a lot of players, getting enough impact players like that will help. So, you know, drafting wisely. This year, the White Sox draft was kind of interesting in that they give a lot of money to three high school players and then one college player. And then after that, they drafted a lot of uh, low ceiling, high floor college players pitchers who are probably going to be relievers is that the right approach to see uh, to, to take we'll see down the road yeah so that is one of the things that they've done recently they've taken a lot more prep players and we'll talk about some of them obviously you know 2020 hurt that strategy a little bit but they've needed to get younger for a long time and they finally did it you know one of those prep players Colson Montgomery is number one at Baseball America it's number one in their system at other outlets too why, why is he the top prospect in your system? And then I guess within that, do you are you a believer that he stays at shortstop? Well, and first I want to add to the other way for the organization to get stronger is to player development. The players that are already in the system, if they take steps forward, that's going to help the system. So I, I neglected to mention that. But as far as Colson Montgomery, he was an easy pick as the first overall for the organization, and I think he's at the top of everyone else's list. Uh, he plays a premium position, shortstop. Uh, there aren't many doubts that he can stay there. He projects to be a plus defender, and that bat will come along, and he's big, strong kid who should be able to add power. So a power-hitting left-handed hitter with a plus defender at shortstop, that's a number one prospect for most teams. Yeah, so we try not to take too much into the pro debut, like in the draft year especially for high school players. He didn't hit for much power, but he got on base at a really solid clip. There are some, you know, who think automatically he has to move to third because of how big he is. You're, you're not one of those people, obviously. And then, you know, like, what do you take from the debut? Like, how much does it matter? Well, and anytime you get a shortstop that's 6'4 or bigger, that's always, oh, he might have to move off positions. Uh, seven, eight years ago when Corey Seager was in the fall league, and I talked to scouts. I was doing a ranking of, of fall league performers. And everybody said, oh, he's probably going to have to move to third base or first base. He's too big for shortstop. Well, you know, he's still a shortstop. So, uh, I, you know, I think Montgomery should be able to stay at shortstop. That's not an issue. What I liked about him is uh, he's got baseball savvy. Now, keep in mind, he was a three-sport athlete in high school. And a lot of the – sometimes they get into pro ball, eventually – the skills start, you know, developing a little more as they're focusing on baseball. But he came in also with a lot of, I guess I'll use the term baseball savvy. In, in talking to his Arizona League manager, he said, you know, this uh, this kid, uh, he will play above his tools because uh, he knows how to play the game. He has instincts. Uh, and it's a nice swing. Uh, the first time I saw him, I, that was my first reaction. I thought, oh, that's a nice swing from the left side. Yeah, that's really exciting for us at Future Sox. Obviously, you know, committing to high school players, these prep players, and to pick a shortstop. He was a little older among his high school class when he got drafted, but still a lot of optimism surrounding Montgomery. And if I could move on just quickly, you mentioned Oscar Colas, as well as some of the international prospects here in the system that I, I want to touch on briefly. I just wonder, in your opinion as an evaluator, how to really take in what the White Sox have in terms of international prospects right now, considering you haven't seen a lot of them stateside outside of a couple of 
you know, months worth of play for a guy like Iwelki Cespedes. And, you know, Gilbert Sanchez has been a part of the system for a couple of years now, but still you, know, you take things from a different perspective than you do when you say you're scouting a college draft pick or a stateside player who's been here all along. So how is that dynamic for you as an evaluator when you look at the international prospects the White Sox have stocked in their system right now? One of the things we talked about, uh, especially as it related to Cespedes, because I think we have Cespedes ranked higher than some of the other lists that we've seen. And, you know, I don't like to get into comparison of lists. There's a lot of different reasons for ranking players one place or another. But uh, in talking about Cespedes, it was like he hasn't played the game. Before this year, he hadn't played in two years. He was obviously rusty. The White Sox have a good reputation of developing international hitters, especially Cuban, the Cuban hitters that have come through the system. And we thought, let's, you know, let's, keep the faith on, on Cespedes. And I believe the same applies to Yolbert Sanchez. He was out for two years uh, and hardly played. So the fact that uh, they, they held their own, they came to the, both those guys came to the fall league, I, I think was a good sign. Same thing with uh, Oscar Colas. I don't think he's played in a couple of years. So we'll see. Uh, and I can't wait to see him. And I can't wait till I can get out the Camelback Ranch when the minor league camps officially open and, and see Colas and Norhe Vera. Yeah. So did you did you see Cespedes in person at all? I saw him some during minor league spring training, although I was somewhat limited because of COVID. I was limited uh, in where I could go and where I could stand <laughs> quite often. But then he played quite a bit in the fall league and I was at a fall league game every day. Yeah, because I knew there was like a delay in getting him to like an affiliate. He was in the AZ or he was in like extended spring for a while with visa issues and stuff. And you right. would hear about him and it's like, yeah, he belongs at Winston, but he can't get there yet. It was like very weird. And then he had a late start and a shoulder thing. So yeah, I was just curious there. You mentioned Norhe Vera. That's a guy that we're very excited about. I mean, I've talked to people internally obviously are always higher on their own players than outside evaluators. But I mean, this is a guy who obviously he pitched against teenagers. He had no business pitching in the DSL, but it is what it is. I, I think I care more about the fact that apparently he's like six six two oh five now. And his stuff is really, really ticked up from when he signed. What can you take away from the numbers in the DSL? I get, you know, like even though maybe that's not the most important thing about his profile. I would ignore the numbers in the DSL. You know, he, for one thing, he hadn't pitched in a while. Uh, he, he was coming off downtime. And then, like you said, he, he was what, uh, I think 20 years old last year. He was pitching against 16, 17, eight year, 18 year olds. Uh, so you can't really take, and here's this guy that was touching 100 uh, in that league. But I, I did see some video of him. I talked uh, to some of the White Sox pitching development staff. Uh, they are very high on him. They think there's, there's going to be more there as he gets a little stronger even. Uh, but then I also talked to a scout uh, in the Dominican, or I, I communicated by email with a scout down in the Dominican from another organization. And he you know, spoke very highly of him too. I can't get enough of the scouting reports from all the experts, the various scouts regarding Norhe Vera. I just want to see him stateside. So based on what you know, what is it that concerns you about the player? I, I love to hear 99 to 100, and we're seeing a sharp breaking ball. But obviously, there's a lot of risk. Well, with any pitcher, you want to be concerned about injury. Uh, and not that he does, you know, I think he had a, a, you know, a ten, you know, some tenderness this year and was shut down for a while. But that's not unexpected because he had been down for uh, quite a while. And it was probably more cautionary 
than anything. But with any pitcher, especially when it throws that hard, there's always injury concern. Uh, and it's no more for Vera than anybody else. What I like that the White Sox are doing is uh, during the offseason, ever since uh, you know, they didn't bring him up for instructs, uh, he's been staying with Jose Contreras in Miami working out there, but probably even more important because we all know that uh, the cultural adjustment uh, is a big thing for any Cuban coming to the States for the first time. But he's staying with Jose Contreras, and part of his education is, you know, here's how you live in the United States. Yeah, Contreras probably went, he went through the same thing 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and probably had nobody to help him like Vera has. So I think that's a big thing. It's going to help him. So one of the prospects that's kind of risen through the White Sox system, not, you know, not a top 100 guy yet or anything, but made it all the way to double A last year's Jose Rodriguez. You know, he played in the Arizona Fall League. Some he's always had a kind of a super aggressive approach at the plate. And I had talked to people that thought it would bite him at some point, but he's done nothing but hit so far. Uh, what have, I guess, scouts that you have talked to thought about him and then, you know, your own looks too? I'll even go back to when he was in uh, Arizona League and I was doing the Arizona League prospect report and I did not have him on the list. I think he was just outside. That was when we were doing top 20. He was just outside there. But I know there were scouts uh, that really liked him. And I think he was only 17 the year he was in the AZL. Uh, but he was still very young this year. He made it to double A shortly after he turned 20 and then was in the fall league and one of the younger players uh, in the fall league. Uh, what I heard from scouts that was most impressive is, yeah, he's a little bit of a free swinger, takes big swings, but scouts were seeing that with two strikes, he was able to shorten up his stroke and cut down on his swing and just try to put the ball in play. Uh, that's impressive for a 19, 20-year-old kid. He's going to be able to play a lot of positions. Maybe he turns into a utility infielder or a super utility guy. Uh, he has the athleticism for that. Uh, scouts really do like the kid. And then another guy, you know, their second round pick this year, you kind of alluded to them going prep heavy. They went prep, 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 prep on the positional side, took West Calf. You know, that talk about a pretty swing there. But, you know, he did struggle a little bit in Arizona. So you know, I'm assuming you saw him. What did, what did you think there? And then what are some of the, the concerns there with him? I saw him in high school also because he's a local Arizona pro uh, product. Uh, I'm good friends with the area scout, John Kazanis, who signed him. So I had a lot of uh, intel on Kath even before uh, the draft. And I, I do the Four Corners report, draft reports for Baseball America. So I had quite a bit on Kath. And uh, yes, he didn't hit well. I he put too much pressure on himself from what I heard from multiple sources and he'll be fine. He's got a great swing. He's strong, uh, has good power. He can stay at third base. Uh, I think he and Montgomery will be nice moving through the system together. It'll be a familiarity as they go through each level. So I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't like any numbers in Arizona league. I wouldn't put too much stock in them, but uh, you know, he's going to hit. He's, he's a natural hitter. I love Westcat's size. I love the fact that he's got power from the left side, and there's optimism that he can stay at the corner, at the hot corner at third base uh, defensively. So we'll, we'll continue to monitor Kath. Uh, and again, a guy with great size who, who fills out the batter's box. And it's just another benefit of, in my opinion, of White Sox really committing to uh, the prep talent. You know, it gives them more time to develop. You know, there's not immediate turnaround. But, man, when, when you're stockpiling these talented high school players – and uh, they turn into something good. It is rewarding down the road. And I want to stick to that real quick because 
personally, I love watching pitching and there's a handful of prep arms that we've been monitoring over the last couple of seasons. And I do implore the listeners here at future Sags. Many of them already are subscribed to baseball America, but with Baseball America, you, you can get the prospect handbook. And in 2022, the White Sox have in-depth details uh, regarding their prospects, thanks to yourself, Bill, and, and your staff. Well, thank you. I, I'm looking at Andrew Dahlquist ranked number six, and that's a spoiler for those out there. Um, and of course, this is you know not including Oscar Colas and some of the international signings, but still, seeing Andrew Dahlquist at number six has me very optimistic about how he can translate into becoming a major league potential starter. And I think that's the upside that Dahlquist has above the remaining prop arms that we're really focused on, including Jared Kelly and Matthew Thompson, even Lamb. You you can include Tanner McDougal, who suffered that unfortunate injury. But what is it about, let's start with Dahlquist. What is it about Andrew Dahlquist that really caught Baseball America's eye and ranked him as high as they did? Well, it's his pitch mix, uh, his ability to pitch. um, He's got four pitches. They all project as average or above average. The big thing with him is he's still a very slight build. And how much more weight and strength he can put on. But uh, fastball was up to 95, 96 this summer. Uh, The breaking balls both flash plus. Uh, So the big thing for him is just getting stronger and more durable. Uh, Otherwise, he may wind up a reliever. Any pitcher has a risk of winding up a reliever. But of those three, I think he's got the brightest future or the, the, the higher floor at this point, too. Sure. And having a high floor isn't necessarily a a terrible thing, considering a at worst, you know, he could end up here as, you know, I don't want to throw out hypotheticals, but if his floor is at worst a major league reliever, I'll take that. Uh, And we don't know that yet, but having a higher floor is a good thing, in my opinion, in regards to Andrew Dahlquist specifically. Now, those with a higher ceiling are those of Matthew Thompson and Jared Kelly. And you can even lump in Dahlquist in this question, too. How much did pitching in Kannapolis this year affect the overall outcome of their season? Because, I mean, that was a young team, really bad defensively. You know, it makes them pitch longer innings and they have a 30 pitch per inning. The White Sox do uh, max limit for these guys. I mean, did that come into play into the outcomes or is it just, hey, these kids are are young still and they're working through some things? Well, one, you're right. They're young. Um Keep in mind, and everybody lost the 2020 season uh, because of the the pandemic and every and minor league baseball being shut down. And it maybe hurt some more than others. And they were at a key phase of their development that they certainly could have used that year. They went to Canopolis. Uh, I think they didn't. They have one of the worst records in all minor league baseball, if not yeah, the it was, worst. It was bad. Uh, it was bad. <laughs> the other thing I've noticed, I noticed uh, because I was going out to minor league spring training games, um, the White Sox had fewer games scheduled than the other organizations in Arizona, and they canceled like the last week of games. I don't know if it was a COVID thing or or what, but. Uh, those players went to Canopolis with maybe five or six games under their belt uh, in spring training, and that was after missing a year. You almost have to give the whole Canopolis team a mulligan for what they did or didn't do last year. And I think it really applies especially to Dahlquist, Kelly, and Thompson. Uh, uh, Kelly and Thompson also struggled through injuries, had to come back to Arizona for a while. But uh I think this year will be a better indication of what those pitchers really are. That made it a little challenging in doing prospect lists for everybody. That fact that everyone missed a year uh, and then 
how that affected their development. But I think even more so for those three guys, perhaps. Yeah, I'm glad you you focus so much on the 2020 season because, I mean, that's exactly it. In 2019 draft classes of Dahlquist and Thompson, and then you follow up with the 2020 pick of Jared Kelly signing that high bonus in the second round. I mean, we saw Kelly immediately get thrown into the alternate site in Schaumburg just to get work in under the watchful eye of White Sox scouts and development, um, I should say, development personnel. But that's the player that I think has so much upside and so much investment in him that we were most disappointed in the result of his 2021 season. So what is it about Jared Kelly that you think can be improved upon? And what is it about, you know, you mentioned the injuries. Uh, how is How do you think the outlook is for him going into 2020? With Kelly, from both what I got from the organization and from scouts at Solomon, it's conditioning. He needs to be in better physical condition. And I know in talking to uh, the White Sox staff, that was what he was going to be working on all offseason. Uh, probably out at Camelback Ranch, he may be out there uh, pumping iron right now while we're speaking. But uh, it all comes down to his conditioning, and that'll help his delivery, and that'll help his health. Uh, he's got dynamic stuff. Uh, I saw one of his rehab outings. I know he was up to 98. He was having trouble landing his uh, breaking ball was, was his big problem then. A lot of scouts see a future back-end reliever. Now, you know, when you were talking about relievers, uh, that's a good thing too. And if it's a back-end reliever, that's even better. Uh, the White Sox f- still feel that he can be a starter and somewhere closer to the front of the rotation. Time will tell on him. So another super young guy in a system that's you know, pretty young overall, Brian Ramos from Cuba. Um, I'm sure you've seen interesting guy. He had lots of extra base hits as a 19 year old in low A. Um, I think he's going to play the whole season, probably at Winston as a 20 year old. Something that's intrigued me is the amount of times that they've like tried to play him at second base. Do you think that is feasible, I guess? And then what are your thoughts on Brian Ramos overall? The first thing that caught my eye when I saw him in Instructional League and because of the shutdown and what we could and couldn't see during Instructional League the year before, uh, I hadn't seen Ramos in two years. And I was amazed at how much, how better he had firmed his body. He was always had a strong body, but it was bulkier two years ago, well now three years ago. I noticed how much better the body looked. As far as the second base, I talked to Scout, saw him there. They said, yeah, at 6'2", he's tall for a second base. Now with all the shifts, does that make any difference now? Uh, but I know one scout said to me, even though he's tall, he plays low. Uh, so second base was fine for him. The consensus was uh, third base is still his best position, but he has that flexibility in addition to playing some first base if need be. Uh, I like him as a prospect. We put him right outside the top 10. I could see him being a guy who could move really move up next year. Uh, that he could you know, maybe you know maybe even a top five prospect in the organization. Uh, we'll see. He's athletic, swings a bat well. Um, uh, just a lot to like about him. Yeah, something that I always found curious about Ramos was like Chris Getz has done this sometimes, um, not often. They sent him right to the Arizona League. He never played in the DSL at all, and he was you know, 17 years old, I think at the time they did the same thing with Lenyon Sosa. It's just, I don't know how many teams do that, but under, under gets the White Sox have done it quite a bit. It seems like. It depends on the organization. Some will leave their, uh, their players down in the Dominican summer league for two years and they're 19 till they hit the States. But, uh, yeah, the White Sox, cause they did it. I'm pretty sure they did it with Jose Rodriguez too. Uh, he came up when he was 17 and, uh, Indians are one that do, uh, that do that too. They at least in past, 
they were noted for bringing a lot of Latin players up when they're 17. So another infielder that really caught us by surprise, and it was a pleasant surprise, was Romy Gonzalez. And we maybe should have seen this come in as White Sox evaluators here at Future Sox because his 29th season was really, uh, I, I shouldn't say standout-ish, but it was notable. And, you know, there was something there in 2019. But then again, as you mentioned in prior conversation here, that 2020 season really did shake things up. I mean, it influenced so many prospects in this cycle and no more than Romy Gonzalez. I mean, he was in the prime of his minor league career at that point going into 2020 or is about to take the next step. And he wasn't able to, you know, act on it, see live pitching. But then he came back 2021 guns a blazing outstanding first month of the season, then got hurt, slowed down a little bit and ultimately made his major league debut after getting right back on track, just blowing through Birmingham as well as having success in Charlotte. What do we think of Romy Gonzalez in 2022? I mean, is he used more as a depth utility guy uh, on the major league level, or is he somebody that we can expect to begin the year in Charlotte and then just see how it goes? I think he has a chance to break camp uh, with the big league team whenever that breaking of camp happens (laughs) after uh, the obvious lockdown uh, hopefully ends soon, like maybe tomorrow. But uh, the White Sox are very high. He was on on Gonzalez. He was one of their climbers uh, this year, and scouts like him too. Uh, the big role on him because he can play just about any infield position, and he can play outfield. Uh, is super utility guy. I came up with the earlier today when I was preparing for this, and I hadn't thought of this uh, comparison before, and no one mentioned to me uh, mentioned it to me. But the guy that I came up with that maybe is a good comp for him, I got to make sure I have the the name right here, is um, he's with the Diamondbacks, uh, Josh Rojas, who uh, the Diamondbacks got from the Astros. He was a local Arizona kid that nobody ever scouted either in high school or junior college ball. And then he goes to, I believe, University of Hawaii and gets drafted, I'm going to say 27th round, somewhere around that area. And... Eventually, he makes the big leagues with Arizona, and he's a key member of their team. He had 400-some at-bats, and he plays all over the field. And I just had him in mind today when I was thinking about Romy Gonzalez, that maybe that's the kind of player that he can be. And that's anybody can play multiple positions and can hit. Uh, that, that kind of player has value and will have a long career. Yeah, so it's interesting with Romy. He was an 18th rounder out of Miami. He like bounced around a little bit, and it was it was a guy that Nick Hostetler told us years and years ago that was like pretty good. And it's you know it's it's a little bit of an afterthought on day three of the draft. And then he you know he showed power his first two years in the system, and then the world shut down in 2020. And I was told that he really like got his body in shape. You know, one of the guys on the White Sox big league team, Adam Engel, people like compared him to him like body type wise. And then all of a sudden he just ran roughshod last year. And I, you know, I didn't know that it was shortstop center field potentially, right? Like that's much different than him being a corner guy and doing what he's doing offensively. Anybody who can play shortstop and like you said, center field and can hit a little bit, will have a good job for a long time. So one of the other guys that, you know, you briefly, I feel like touched on was um, Yolbert Sanchez, um, you know, just another, he was kind of billed as a glove first guy after signing out of Cuba, but he actually hit quite a bit last year. So what, it, you know, can you describe maybe some of those offensive gains and then like what it's done for the overall profile? 
Uh, and I, I have a 50 on his future hit tool, which is major league average. Uh, the big uh, advancement that I got from talking to scouts with him was that he became more aggressive at the plate and uh, wasn't just swinging to put balls in play. He's uh, got good bat-to-ball skills, uh, a balanced swing. Uh, and again, he was one that missed two years. And then he came to the fall league, but hardly played in fall league. He was a taxi squad player. I think I only saw him in games once or twice. And again, I was at a game somewhere every day and often two games. So uh, that's one, you know, like a lot of the other players we mentioned, I want to see what they do this year now that they have that one first minor league season under their belt. Let me ask you this, Bill. Do you think Mike Rodolfo breaks camp with the White Sox big league club? Is that a possibility? I mean, I'm sure I shouldn't say that because anything is possible, but is it realistic? He needs at bats. He's missed so much time to injury over the years. And and I love Mike. He's a great, I've known, he's a great kid. I've known him since he was a teenager uh, because he's fluent in English. He's always coming in and, you know, able to, I was able to talk to him early on and uh, he just, he, he needs to make some more adjustments, so he, uh, minor tweaks to his swing, uh, so that he uh, can cut down on strikeouts, make better contact, and be able to get to that plus plus raw power he has. So, so Bill, I would think that that some more some AAA time would probably be do him well instead of uh, being a fourth or fifth outfielder in Chicago. Yeah, so I'm going to speak for Mike a little bit just because like he's he's out of options completely just because of like the amount of years that he's been on the 40 man. So he's basically he's going to be on the White Sox big league team or in another organization probably. And he honestly, like I agree with you, he probably needs to start the year in Triple A. But you know how it goes with like that 40 man bingo basically. Like he might bounce around to multiple orgs and then end up being outrighted and end up with somebody. But like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, a couple of years down the road, all of a sudden, like he's hitting for power in the big leagues. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know how much average he's going to hit for, but he could, you know, he might be able to hit lefties, but it's just, he does need more time. The White Sox just don't have it probably. I was not aware that he was out of options. So that, that probably changes my answer that, you know, give him as many advanced in spring training as you can and uh, see if it is somebody that you're, you're going to be able to carry in the roster and, and give him, you know, maybe platoon at bats. So in that case, he probably does make the big league team. Yeah. It's just such a tough spot for him in this organization. I mean, the White Sox picked him up in 2013. And like you said, Bill, he's gone through several injuries and he had at the time uh, for several years, the best arm in the organization as a right fielder. Um, and obviously the, the plus power from the plate. Uh, it's just unfortunate that you know time sort of is starting to run out uh, on Mike Rodolfo because that was a promising he is still a promising prospect, just uh, not as much as he used to be with the Chicago White Sox. Um, let's move on now, unless you have a follow-up. Go ahead. I'm just going to add, you You said you thought he had the best arm in the organization. I believe he still ranks as that. I've got a 70 on his arm, which uh, it doesn't get much better than that. So, yeah, he's he's got the prototypical right field skills. So if the bat can come along and at least in a platoon role to start, I, I think you know, th- there will be a career for Miker. Yeah, and that's like following Tommy John, and then also they went back in and, and cleaned some stuff up for a second time, and uh, he's still got the talent, you know, and the arm strength. So that's something to keep in mind as well. I think it'll be an interesting spring training, and like you said earlier, hopefully they get enough at bats after the lockout. Hopefully is concluded in due time uh, to make it worthwhile for these players who are sort of uh, on the fringe of making a twenty-six man roster spot. 
Uh, and speaking of those who are on the fringe of making a 26-man roster spot, let's scroll all the way down to your 26th-ranked left-handed pitching prospect, Bennett Souza. He was added to the White Sox 40-man roster this offseason, which means okay, we need to pay attention to this person. Uh, and we have been sort of scouting it because obviously the White Sox, in terms of left-handed pitching depth, at least at the higher level of the minor leagues, we haven't seen much outside of uh, Garrick Rocher, no disrespect to the others, but realistic big league arms, Bennett Sousa ranks among them. Is he somebody that you perceive as a uh, White Sox relief pitcher in 2022? Oh, absolutely. And, and, what is, and what is it about his game that is strong? Yeah, I had, he's been in the organization a while. He was drafted in 2018 and I kind of had just forgotten about him uh, until I was doing the, when I got assigned to do the White Sox organization, I was uh, putting together my inventory and I saw that name. I said, oh yeah, I remember him. University of Virginia, big guy, big left-hander. Uh, and then I looked at his numbers. Uh, they were quite impressive. He uh, struck out 13.5 batters per nine innings, which uh, was so much better than he had done. What happened for him was the velocity went up. Uh, he was sitting 93 to 97. He's got plus life on the fastball. Uh, there's some deception. He's a big guy that comes out of a high three-quarters delivery. And uh, he's got a good slider that uh, projects as a, at least an above-average pitch. So uh, that, that sounds like a solid major league left-hander to me. I know there's some competition there. You know, you, you mentioned crochet and uh, there's other left-handers who are going to go to camp. And uh, so he's got some competition, but uh, they're going to need pitchers through the year. And I could see him hopping on a flight to Chicago from Charlotte quite you know, several times throughout the year. Yeah, so there's lots of, you know, potential reliever types on this list. That's not always the best thing in the world. It's probably one of the reasons why they're ranked 30. Um, but, you know, the the highest ranked one is Caleb Freeman. He was a 15th rounder out of Texas Tech a couple years ago. It's another guy that Nick Hostetler and others have told us to, like, keep an eye on over the years. And now he's had a pretty good season. Do, could we see him in the big leagues in 2022? I think so. He showed in the Arizona Fall League. And the reason they sent him to the Fall League was they wanted to have him prove himself against advanced hitters. And he did that. Uh, he's somebody the organization is very high on, which is why i bumped him up uh, into the low 20s in the rankings. And uh, yeah, he was at double A, maybe needs some triple A time, but I could see him later in the year when they need a reliever uh, getting to the big leagues. It's a plus fastball. Uh, he's got two breaking balls, which not all bullpen only guys have. So with the curveball being a, a potential plus pitch. Uh, so yeah, I could see him in the big league sometime this year. Bill, it's been so fun. Uh, we're going to let you go here in a couple of minutes, but I I just respect the grind of Baseball America. Uh, and again, putting together the 2022 handbook, I mean, it's a yearly thing, and it's so worth it for those who subscribe to Baseball America, especially those who are obsessed with baseball as we are here at Future Sox. Not only do you get the White Sox top 30, but you get you get everybody Every else. You other, get all, yep. <laughs> all 30 teams and all the top prospects across Major League Baseball. So, yes, the White Sox are ranked number 30. Uh, I know James has another question here, but uh, this is it for me. Let's okay. let's be let's be fanboys for a little bit. We're optimistic, right, of, of what we have in the White Sox system in terms of let's go top ten. The top ten still has me saying, "Wow, there's talent. There's talent loaded in this system." And I know there's some young players, but there's also some mixed in there, like a Jake Berger. There's some Jonathan Stever action. Even Jimmy Lambert gives you a, a little pep in your step. Is this White Sox? 
farm system close to returning to where it it should be? I, I guess what it, what I mean by that is top fifteen, not the bottom fifteen. Because when you're an organization, at least for in my perspective, if you're able to maintain a consistent winning uh, culture by spending in the off season, and then also obviously drafting well and replenishing, you know, prospects in your farm system, then that is class A top of the line rotation. Now the White Sox got that first step. They used their farm system by acquiring top prospects via trades. They watched them develop and then they promoted them. So many internal developments that we saw play in a, a part into back-to-back playoff appearances for the big league White Sox team. But now obviously we see the White Sox at the bottom of the list. I mean, is it realistic that what you see developing within the farm system, within the structure of the White Sox organization and the scouts and the leadership there, that they could they could be competitive yearly, spending in free agency, while also maintaining a top 15 farm system. I think for them to get to into the top 15, there needs to be more high ceiling talent coming to the organization. When I look at the players who just missed the top 30, I see a lot of, uh, and again, using that, uh, that phrase, uh, high floor, low ceiling, I see a lot of potential relievers in that and not a lot of impact talent. I think uh, there needs to be more impact talent. Uh, and again, either from the draft, uh, the international market, or the current players in, uh, taking big steps forward. I don't know that I'm comfortable saying they could be top 15 in a couple of years, uh, but let's see what happens. Yeah, I think I think the 20 to 25 range would be a substantial step forward if they could do it. But that, that would that, be a that, good goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that probably gives them enough stuff to trade to stay competitive. I would think my last one for you. Everybody's always interested in catchers. The White Sox don't have many. It's kind of a weak spot in the system. You did rank recent pick Adam Hackenberg. You know, he was taken in the 18th round out of Clemson. What can you tell our listeners in closing about him? Well, I knew you were going to ask about Adam. Uh, I got to see his first couple game pro games in Arizona League. And obviously, you know, he was a advanced college guy playing against rookie ball guys. Uh, but uh, he went on and he, he did well at Kannapolis, too. The big thing was he had injuries and some other things at Clemson, and he was a big deal in high school. And he comes from an athletic family. He had a brother who was a quarterback that uh, I'm not sure if he ever made the NFL, but he certainly got drafted. And he has a brother who's a was a very high pick in uh, in in the major league soccer t- league. So it's an athletic family. Uh, he's got some athleticism behind the plate. He's uh, they already project him as the best defensive catcher in the system. Uh, he uh, threw out 44% of his runners stealing this year, so he's got a plus arm, uh, moves well behind the plate. The big thing is the bat, uh, and will will what he showed at low A, will is that more indicative of what he can do behind the plate, or I mean at the plate, than what he did at Clemson? So that's a big question, and it'll be you know, fun to watch this year. Bill, it's been a pleasure. And again, like I said, I'm sure we're going to be bugging you more and more down the line. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for all your hard work. Uh, Far removed are the White Sox from the Luis Robert, Michael Kopech days. And here we are now with the Colson Montgomery's Oscar Colas uh, and prep pitchers that we're keeping an eye on as the White Sox for the second consecutive list in Baseball America are ranked number 30 overall.
So we'll live with that for now. But Bill, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's Bill Mitchell of Baseball America. Now taking over the White Sox beat covering the White the White Sox farm system. Top 30 prospects you can check out at BaseballAmerica.com. Subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com. You will not be disappointed. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks again for listening to the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next time.